You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry. Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. I'm Julie Larson Brisher, Science and Technology Editor for Meeting Place Magazine. Welcome to Episode 28 of Meeting Pod, where we're talking beef R&D, meat quality, and the science behind the culinary arts with Diana Clark, Meat Scientist and Education and Events Manager at the Certified Angus Beef Culinary Center's Meat Lab. The Certified Angus Beef brand is the original brand of premium beef created in the 1970s and raised then and now by family farmers and ranchers. To earn the logo, the very best of all Angus beef, whether it's fresh or prime cuts, marinated meats, corned beef, or other case-ready items, must meet 10 exacting science-based standards. Diana, along with a rock star team of meat scientists and chefs, makes things happen at Cab's Culinary Center, a unique state-of-the-art facility designed to showcase quality beef and offer guests the opportunity for custom, immersive learning opportunities. Programs are geared to beef professionals, from chefs, restaurateurs, food service distributors and retailers, to butchers, processors, and meat packers, looking to boost their business by mastering the science and art of quality beef. In the Cab Culinary Center Meat Lab, Diana helps beef professionals understand the science behind the brand's quality specs. For this meat master, the science behind the sizzle has been a defining force in her life. While working toward her bachelor's and master's degrees in animal science at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, Diana worked in the meat lab, participated on the meat judging team, instructed meat science classes, and coached the meat evaluation team. Prior to joining Certified Angus Beef, she gained experience with Sarah Lee and in quality and safety compliance at Ohio Farms Packing. Today, she continues to teach and mentor students at the Ohio State University Agricultural Technical Institute. Whether she's breaking down subprimals, experimenting with beef cuts on the smoker, or developing unique beef sausage blends, guests at the Culinary Center appreciate Diana's signature blend of skill, science, creativity, and humor. Welcome to Meeting Pod, Diana. It's great to have you as a guest on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here and be a part of it. Well, you know, I think I was telling you, my my husband, the math professor, has just set up the pellet grill last week. So this could not be a timelier interview. <laughs> He's gearing up to do his first beef brisket and he was had all his little pape temperature and timing things out. And he was telling me it's going to take 12 to 14 hours. So he's going to have to get up at 3, 3 a.m. or something, you know, to get it done. But and I, I really I'm definitely going to be picking your brain about that later. But first, <laughs> let's just start out with I, I'd like to ask you as a meat scientist, you know, what is it like to work side by side with chefs? And, and how do you approach translating meat science concepts into the culinary world? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, it's really, honestly, that's amazing to me, the amount of education that culinary that any chefs would have at, from culinary school and the minimal amount that they get in the meat world specifically. 
they thrive to learn more. I, I've, we've never had a chef walk in the door and say, oh, you know, I don't need to know this. They are just sponges wanting to absorb more in. And you'll have some chefs that I definitely think are science minded, where if they would have known that there was a food science degree out there, they probably would have fallen into that track. But then other chefs that are more of the artsy, okay, let's, but they really have the ability to blend the art in with meat. And so it's kind of neat seeing those two sides of the industry come together. But I, I'm more amazed by how much I learn from them just because they, they a lot of times won't think of things so complicated. Like you're saying with your husband, how he's got his, his temperature, he's got the thermometer, he's got, make sure that everything is set up right. And that's how I think most meat scientists approach it as there's structure and rigidity to all of this. And we need to understand the perfect process. But then a chef will come in and say, no, 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 I just did this and this. And it seemed to work really well. And so then you're just trying to, okay, let's break that down a little bit and understand it more. But really, they they want to know, they just want to understand the meat science behind things. They want to understand muscle. And then they have the ability to take that information and translate it into cooking. And that's what's so neat of having them understand, okay, this is where this muscle comes from. Now I understand that it's a tougher cut because from the shoulders, so it's going to require a little bit more slow cooking, hands-on. Okay, so what are my options that I can do from there? And so they'll just continue to build on it. So it's just a lot of fun to be able to learn from them through it all too. I, I feel like I've gotten a culinary degree just by being back there. But I've only scratched the surface in terms of meat. I still need to learn everything else from the culinary side of things. So it's a, a blast, though, having any chef back there for sure. What are the most common beef quality or meat science related questions that you get from the retailers, the butchers or the chefs, you know, during the training sessions that you put on? Yeah, that's a great question. So and this is kind of, I thought about this over COVID. So when everything was shut down, um, I have an Instagram account called Beef Maven. Uh, and so I was trying to think of what information do I need to give out to people? And so I stopped I'm like, what do people ask me all the time when we're in back? And it's usually what cut is this? Or what is this new cut? Or I've seen this cut. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? So they're more interested in specific cuts from the carcass. Because I think so many of them are used to those middle meats, your ribs, strips, and tenderloins, but they don't really know the full utilization of the animal, of where these other little things come from. So every Wednesday on that Instagram account, I actually do What's the Cut Wednesday. And so I put a picture of a random cut on there, and then people will write in and guess what it is. And then the next day, I'll follow up and say, okay, this is what the cut was, and give a little description about it. And then have our chefs chime in on some cooking attributes for it as well to hopefully help just keep that education going. And it's so neat because we've had a lot of retailers come through and meat managers and they love participating in it just to keep, even if they know the answer, it's like, oh, I just want to make sure I'm still sharp on my game and got all this going. But that's usually the route we'll go to is them just asking about different cuts from the animal specifically. And then they're always amazed, I think, from a chef standpoint too, just understanding that quality grades expand outside of that select choice and prime. I don't think a lot of them understand the whole beef industry and just seeing what goes into the system. So it's neat being able to break that down for them quite a bit too. Well, would you say just picking up on something you just said about during COVID, obviously that would have 
just at the meat case, even just at the retailers, did we see a lot of new cuts come out? Oh, yeah, for sure. And that, that was really awesome to see, even from my side of things of just talking to a lot of meat managers, because prices dropped on some of those really high demand food service items, specifically your Terrace Major and your Chuck Flap, that then a lot of retailers thought, okay, well, we're going to play with this and bring it in. And they've been amazed by how well consumers have received that versatility. And consumers were looking for it at the time, too. They didn't have the ability to say, oh, tonight we're going to go out to dinner because I can't really think about what to make. So it was, let's try a new cut. Let's try the skirt steak. I've never had that before. So you start to see that come into their cart. And that really has just piqued their interest in cooking and gotten more people interested in just kind of diving into that experiment at home, so to speak. But I don't think they fully understood what they were purchasing. Also, I think given everything that was going on, they were a little afraid to actually talk to the butcher. They more of let's grab a cut, put it in the cart and forget about it because we really don't know what's going to happen. And fortunately, so another area of research that I do here at Certified Angus Beef is actually looking at some consumer data um, and trying to understand the consumer a bit more. And so we did a lot over this past year, just looking at different regions in the United States. And the number one thing that a consumer look for, regardless of where you're at or your age, is color. They are so focused and drawn into the color of the meat. And I think that's held true for many, many years. But then the next attribute that they'll look for is either marbling or flavor. And that completely depends on the age. So usually someone that's 55 or older is going to drive more towards the marbling. I think they understand the importance of marbling a little bit better. But someone that's younger, that's especially your your 18 to 34-year-olds, your Gen Zs and young millennials, they'll just look for flavor, but they don't completely get that marbling means flavor. So it's trying to make that connection. And it's been really neat for us as a brand that hangs its hat on quality and higher marbled cattle of, okay, how are we going to get this message across of these little white flecks of fat? That's marbling, that's flavor, and just focus on the flavor. So that's been really our mission to talk about that and even to promote that to a lot of retailers of don't go too deep into marbling. Talk more about flavor and then connect it into marbling so they get that understanding. The beauty of it, though, too, is that your younger generations want to learn more. So it's not just scratching the surface. It's, okay, now tell me a little bit more. Give me some of that, that, that information that we're looking for. And so hopefully over time, we'll get them there to understand the importance of that marbling behind it. But it's just fun to see and look at the data for sure. You know, you've said that one of your favorite things to do is R&D. Yeah. What do you like about it? And what do you think are the top trends in beef product or packaging R&D? You know, I guess whether you're in food service, restaurant, retail, depending on the sector you're in. Yeah, I definitely think packaging is huge right now within within the beef industry. And that's even from a retail side and from a food service side. You think about how much food service has to switch to this takeout and to-go options. Well, a steak doesn't really hold well in a styrofoam container. I mean, you have to make sure that you have the right ventilation. It doesn't dry out. It's not sitting too long. There's so many little things behind it. And it's been really cool to see so many chefs play with it in-house. I mean, we have a lot of chef friends that have gone and actually done experiments where they'll cook steaks and have people drive it places. One of our own chefs, Chef Tony Biggs, he his, so his son was actually a delivery driver for Uber Eats. 
And he would go in the vehicle with him just to look at the packaging that all these different places were doing. He wanted to see, okay, oh yeah, look at how they're venting this just a little bit to make sure the temperature's controlled. And it blows my mind of how much interest he had, but he said he knew people would be coming to him to ask him questions of how can I make this steak great for that person at home? So there's been a lot of advances made, but I think there's still more to come. And I don't think delivery or takeout is going anywhere. It's still a very large part of food service business right now. And then packaging, even from a retail side, more consumers are becoming used to and friendly with that vacuum package. Um, so they just, even though color is important, they understand that that is a secure package even though it's not bright cherry red, the meat is still safe to eat. It's going to hold better in my freezer, which we're seeing a lot more consumers keep their product frozen because they don't know when they're going to need it again. And when you do that correctly, you're going to have a better eating experience as well. Then on top of that, you see those labor shortages too going on. So it's going to make it a lot easier for that retailer to restock. If you don't have someone that has to be able to cut a steak or overwrap or anything. They'll just have a package that they pull out and put on the shelf and you always have that product available too. So I could definitely see beef packaging in general becoming very key. If not already, it definitely is within the R&D area for sure. So what do you like about R&D? My favorite part is just the the diving in and trying new things. If you kind of experiment with it, you know you're going to fail at times, but it's just, it's fun to do. For for example, we had a, um, a texture analyzer at Sara Lee, and I was trying to figure out the, the stickiness of a meat batter and to really measure that difference. And so I've just played around with the machine a while to finally see, okay, now I can be able to stick this probe in and then measure the force that it takes to pull the probe out. And then we can look at that as basically the protein extraction that you would get from the meat. So you could see how sticky that batter is and how well it will be used in different applications. And it like it failed miserably many times, but it was just to finally get it. You just feel so successful once you get it going like, yes, okay. And you get to move to the next step. So it's the trial and error and then seeing that finished product is just a lot of fun to me. It's It gets you your blood pumping for sure. What's your favorite kind of beef product innovation in the R&D scheme? Do you, do you like making those sort of custom sausage blends or something like that? Yeah, we've actually had quite a few people come in and ask for advice on sausage blends and they've given flavor profiles that they're looking for. I'll do some research ahead of time and try to figure out how to best blend some things together or what I think would be good for a bite. And a lot of times I'll either, I might test it out, but I think I'll just like set up the ingredients and then we'll blend it together there. And it's really fun when I, I hit it right. Like I just get the right things. Like we had someone come in and they wanted to make like a hamburger sausage. So it tastes like a hamburger, but it's just in sausage form. So we had um, dill pickle chopped up. We had raw onions. Uh, we did put your, um, just your mustard seasoning, ground mustard in there. Uh, it was just a perfect blend and it had the right crunch and everything. It was, it was just really neat how it all worked out. And then we've also done, so we'll have a huge charcuterie board a lot of times when chefs will come in and we'll try to do sausages that are representative throughout the world. So you have some global influence. We'll do a Korean style, a Cambodian style sausage, Italian. 
just to drive those flavors. And it's neat for a chef, I think, who's been to those areas or understands that cuisine to be able to pull them out and try to guess of what region it's trying to represent. And then it's fun to learn about the culture too. As you're putting some of these ingredients in, you're understanding, okay, they're using this because this is what's really prevalent in their area. And they have to do these certain techniques because that's what's going to make this a safe process to do. So it's just a great learning experience in the same time. I know another one of your passions is exploring new cuts and cutting methods. Also looking at ways to utilize muscle to create more value-added products. So what's new in butchery and the science behind it? And do you have any tips on better utilizing the muscle? Usually people always will ask too for what's the new cut. And there's no new new cut because the animal really hasn't changed much. But there are a lot of cuts that just simply aren't looked to, especially if you think about the round. I think the round itself is just really underutilized. A lot of people look at it as lower quality. But when you have certified Angus beef, you have higher marbling. So we're really fortunate here. A lot of the cattle that we work with are just phenomenal in marbling, regardless of where it's coming from on the carcass. But one cut in particular that I'm really fond of and love to promote is the Merlot steak. And it comes from the heel of the animal. So to me, it's it's more amazing that it's literally like the calf of the animal. So something that works all the time is really hard doing. But then you go and you actually seam it out. You take some of that silver skin off and it's fairly tender. So it's shockingly tender. And you think, wow. And right now it's it's either going into the grinder or it's being sold internationally and probably put into a stew of some sort and taking a lot of time to break it down. But if you simply just seam it out a little bit further... And that's, to me, my biggest thing to to push away to chefs. If you see silver skin, try to remove it. Try to pull apart these muscles a little bit more to get to your individual muscle. Because when you could do that, I think you really speak for that muscle and you could get a more tender product. If you think about the flat iron, I mean, that's that was a cut that was being ground. And then they realized they just removed that piece of silver skin. And voila, you have this incredibly tender cut. And there's so many other cuts that are like that. It's just you use your knife just a little bit more and you could drive tremendous value to that cut. So that's a lot that we do here, too, at the Culinary Center is promoting some of that further fabrication. And even as we look to some of our our hot carcass weights in the industry as a whole are getting a little bit heavier, breaking down these pieces, these subprimals into smaller parts is definitely going to be a need for the future in order to get them to be better used by the consumer, that end user. So it's trying to promote that further fabrication in order to utilize the carcass to its utmost ability. That's great. Well, I'm going to, now I'm going to get to my, my big personal question. If you had (laughs) one piece of science meets culinary advice on how to best smoke a beautiful beef brisket, what would it be? I would say use a thermometer for sure. That is by far the best way to figure it out. A lot of chefs will tell you the jiggle. You can tell by the jiggle. That's great. But a thermometer is never going to lie to you about when to wrap it, when to pull it. when. So thermometer is key. Knowing the temperature is definitely the best tip. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, I will be sharing that with the professor right after (laughs) this recording. Although I think he he is a, a big proponent of the thermometer. I've never seen somebody just time it, time it, time it. And he's got at least multiple thermometers at any given time, you know, built into the pellet grill. He's got his, he's got him hanging off his tool belt, you know. (laughs) 
That is awesome. That's when you know you're going to be successful. So it's you're good to go there. <laughs> well, Diane, it's been a pleasure talking with you today on Meeting Pod. And listeners, be sure to check out Certified Angus Beef on the web at certifiedangusbeef.com, where you can find out more about the history and heritage of the brand, meet the ranchers, chefs, and scientists, and get access to recipes and cooking videos. As always, please visit meetingplace.com to explore quality journalism from our award-winning editorial team and expert-contributed articles on a variety of topics, including R&D, meat quality, and safety. Thanks again, Diana. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and Altmate magazines on social media, or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net. <laughs>